Women aren't born warriors, we become them. And the road to becoming a warrior is bumpy as hell. Each week I'm interviewing women who through tragedy and triumph are leaping for greatness. Get ready to unleash your inner warrior. I'm Liz Swadek, and this is Conversations with Warrior Women. Hi, I'm Liz Swadek, and welcome back to Conversations with Warrior Women. Thank you for joining us today, and thank you for joining this community of warrior women. Each week, I'm interviewing women who are changing the game, putting themselves back on the list, following the good energy, and igniting their passions. What idea or goal have you given up on? Or have you given up on yourself? It's time to bring it back, back to you. Listening to these warrior women tells us that it's never too late to start or to make a change. And if you're looking for inspiration, you're in the right place. Remember, you can find out more about me and the show by going to thewarriormoms.co and clicking on the podcast link. The sponsor of our podcast today is Claudine's Kitchen and Big Shop in Encino. This is one of my absolute favorite places. And even with all we have going on, you can still take out and take away a beautiful dinner, a beautiful lunch, a beautiful breakfast from Claudine's. Trust me when I tell you the food is unreal. Leah Newton, the woman, the genius behind this place, She's one of my favorite women. She's a warrior woman, and she is committed to feeding us well, feeding us healthy, using the best ingredients. Claudine's Kitchen and Bake Shop in Encino. You can pick up, you could have a Cobb salad with chicken and apples. You could have the Loco Coco, which is a grass-fed bison burger. I know they were doing a mamba melt for a while in honor of Kobe. They're just the greatest, guys. So let's keep them going. I love them because they're my first sponsor ever. So love you, Claudine's Kitchen and Bake Shop. Remember to hit that subscribe button on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify to keep up to date with new episodes and all these great conversations with warrior women. Before we get to our amazing guests, I just want to say, I know these are hard times for us. The world is crazy, but I know having these conversations with these amazing women is going to really help us all. So I want you to know I'm thinking about you. You can connect with me. You can DM me. You can email me. Tell me how you're feeling right now. We're going to host a virtual cocktail party. So look out for that. And I want you to know, guys, we're here. We're here with you 100% all the way. We're going to get through this. Okay. On to my amazing guest. Today on the show, my warrior women woman is Patty Ivins. I really wanted to talk to Patty because she's always leaping for greatness professionally and personally. Patty is a two-time Emmy winner who started in the news and documentaries. She has produced dozens of biographies at the A&E Network and was the original creative executive producer on The Simple Life. And she created a format to travel the globe for that show. She started her own production company at the age of 32 and has run millions of dollars worth of productions. Her current focus is on documentaries that inspire hope, compassion, and love. She believes that being human is hard enough and sharing these stories of human struggle and perseverance make us all feel less alone and more compassionate about others' life experiences. Welcome to the show, Patty. 
Hey, hey. Oh, hey, hey girl. Love you. And of course, what am I doing? I'm documenting your podcast, which I'm like filming you talking to me on our computers. I just can't take it. The documenting never stops. <laughs> I'm wearing your favorite shirt, Patty. It says 50% Deepak and 50% Tupac, which is really both you and I, the whitest women in the world. But we, in our hearts, believe that we are 50% Deepak and 50% Tupac, don't we? I mean, I have to be to get through every day. I feel <laughs> like these are the, truly, these are like the North Stars of like being an OG and like not being afraid to channel your inner thug life. And then also really being connected to your spirituality and the higher purpose. And, and I do think it's probably going to be controversial that we identify, but I do sincerely identify with both those figures. Well, and we and they're, both, you have this shirt too. I, well, I did. I, of course I bought one immediately after I saw yours. <laughs> and then I bought like 30 of them, put my company's name on them and sent them out as holiday gifts. Because well, because people stop you in the street. Like people stop me in the street. They're like, oh my God, your shirt. Oh my God, 50% Tupac, 50% Deepak. I, I need this shirt. I need this shirt. And then it also speaks to what Gen Xers we are because anyone who's Gen Y is like, I don't get it. Well, who, totally. who are those people? Totally. Like, Speaking of the Gen Xs, Patty, you made your first documentary when you were 16 damn years old. 16 years old. This is not what most 16-year-olds are doing. How I need to know how this passion for documentaries even came to you and what was this thing? What was this documentary you made at 16? I was that weird kid who 100% knew what I wanted to do. And I didn't even understand how people didn't know. I just knew early on I was going to be a storyteller. And I didn't want to do pretend stories. I wanted to do real people's stories. I grew up in this sweet town and we had a public access station that had freaking amazing equipment. We had a full studio. camera gear and everything. And you, anyone in the community could learn how to be a TV producer. And you had to do this little six week course and you had to learn how to put the camera together and take it out. And then you could check out the gear and go tell stories about your community. So I heard about this when I was like, what is this? No, it's amazing. And it, and I don't know, it used to be everywhere, anywhere. Like ours was Comcast cable, but this used to be when we cared about the communities, one of the things that were community resources. And so the fun thing about this story, and it's such testament to women and motherhood and so many other other themes that you touch on, is that I went up one day, my 15-year-old self, and I was like, I really want to do this. And they said, oh, you're so cute. You have to be 18 to do this. But after cajoling a little bit- To do what? To join this program to learn how to be a public access producer. So after talking to them a little bit more, I said, well, what if my mom would do it with me and sign up for this class? And they agreed that that was a great idea. And so my mom, who can't work the microwave or the VCR at the time. talk about your mother, by the way. You know I love your mother more than anything, Patty. That's not okay. I know, but it's testament to what a neat mom she was and is because- she does, she ends up going with me to Comcast Cable and doing this six or eight week course, you know, tech, highly technical. And she passes the class. I pass the class. <laughs> Good. So now at just probably just shy of 16, I get my first ability to be a TV producer. And I start figuring out stories I want to tell. 
And then being an Orange County cheerleader, what was the one that was most on my mind? Date rape. How pathetic and sad. But the truth is, is that I had known a lot of, by a lot more than I would imagine, a couple of girls who had had this terrible experience of being raped by their Wow, Patty. Wow. And so it just felt like a really powerful thing to talk about. And so it aired on my local channel, you know, the little local public access channel. Oh my goodness. And did you get people to talk on camera about this? Like were girls like, yes, I was date raped. So yeah. And really what it evolved into is the people I knew weren't ready to talk. I mean, they were 15, 16, 17 year old girls. But what I ended up doing was working with local rape crisis centers and interviewing women who were over 18, who were willing to talk about recent violations or flashbacks to when they were in high school. But I will say, looking back at it now and having my own children and working on this new project that I'm deeply entrenched in right now, it's like rape culture is something you learn like going to the mall. And I don't know if we as women and now as mothers really appreciate how we're so blinded by how much it's just part of the daily life. It's, it's like, the narrative. It's crazy. It's just part of the experience, right? So I think even looking back then, we knew that that was something that happened, you know, regularly. And you had to be smart about going to parties and not drinking too much, which was, of course, things all my friends and I did. We went to parties. We of drank course. too much. That's what we, we did. Responsible. And like, so. I did not experience that and know about that really until college because oh. it, it happened to a friend of mine. Yeah. And it was all guys I knew. She, yes. she actually was gang raped and it oh. was all guys I knew. And I just couldn't believe it because I knew these guys yes. and it was, they thought a blurry line. She had passed out cold. Mm-hmm. She had been kind of like in the room with them, you know, being really drunk and kind of acting a little sexy. And they, they took it upon themselves to take it to that next level. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. They all got expelled. And one of the guys was like a good friend. And I rode home on the plane with him. And he said, do you hate me? And I said, no, his name is Tommy. I said, no, Tommy, I don't hate you. And I said, but what I will tell you is that I'm really disappointed. I'm disappointed because I know your heart and you, that's, that's not you. And I don't know why you would be involved in something like that. And look what it's doing. Look what's doing to your life. And I hope from here on out, you are going to change. And he was like, I am. He's like, I've learned a terrible lesson. And I said, you have. I'm really glad he got expelled because in that era, there wasn't a lot of actual follow through on punishment. And so- Well, to her credit, this girl followed through. She was not about to let that stand. And she was very vocal. Yeah. Well, and I think- Much of a choice. Yeah. Except I will say for like- there's a really interesting documentary right now on Netflix called Roll Red Roll. And it's about a case of gang rape uh, at a high school in Ohio in uh, 2012. And the truth is, is like everyone's first reaction is to victim blame. Oh my God, she was such a slut and she was wearing that. Why'd she wear that? Yeah. Yes. And it's like, you know, and I do think there is something this speaks to that boys of course, I think first learn in the home, but then it's greater than the home. They learn in the society that they get a pass, mm-hmm. that white men in our society get a pass. They just get, they are the top of the pyramid. Right. And so 
you know, I think as mothers, it's really our responsibility to drive home. Like, not only is this not okay, if you bear witness to this, if it is your responsibility as a human to say, to no, up, stop. Yes. And if you're too embarrassed, you call 911. Like, right. you, someone else do with it, but stop it. Yeah. You roll, you are just as guilty if you stand by and let it happen, yeah. even if you don't participate. And that's an important distinction because I think, you know, also, I mean, to kids' credit, it's scary. Like when you're re- witnessing mm-hmm. something that's just gone too far, you can become frozen, you know? And I think, you know, one thing that my father did growing up that was controversial at the time, but I really appreciated it was we went through scenarios. Okay, you're going to this party. They're probably going to offer you drugs. What are you going to say? And I was literally like, dad. And he's like, no, I'm, no, we're going we're gonna to act it out. And it's this role playing that we did. And he gave me, and sure enough, Patty, the shit happened exactly the way he said. And I remember thinking, I'm so glad I have these words ready, in my mouth ready to reply to someone who says, do you want this? He, you know, he, he gave me all this ammunition. Like, oh my God, you guys don't know my dad. He's 6'4", he'll kill me. Like if he even smell, he's got a bionic nose. If he smell, I mean, he gave me all these kind of jokey, fun things to say that I could kind of get myself safely out of the situation. And I think that's an important thing to do, that we can do exactly what you're saying. Tell kids, okay, if you're in the room and something starts going left, wrong, you know it's bad, we got to have the words, the words in your mouth to be able to say, guys, I'm going to leave right now and I'm not just going to leave, but I'm going to tell the next person that's out that door what's going on in here. So you're all going to stop. Yeah. And- I love that your dad did that. And I think kind of having those action plans are, it's kind of a brilliant parenting point because especially in a society that really rewards being nice and behaving and, 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 you know, it's very hard for some people to say no, it just is. Mm -hmm. And to go against grain and it's why we find ourselves in so many of these horrific situations where systematically there are cover-ups or I've often said, because I, by the way, at 16, I started doing this crazy research is like the number of people that have to look the other way for a child to be abused. And that could be a young person as well. Not just a child. I mean, look at Jeffrey Epstein. Yes. Look at the hundreds of people that had to look the other way and not see what he was doing. Yeah. Look at the USA Gymnastics. Look at the USC case with Dr. Tyndall. Look at Dr. Kelly at USC. I mean, USC has some real egregious systematic problems happening um, where people for like 20, 25 plus years have been abused under their nose by doctors. Mm, Um, So it's like this, this is not just a problem of being in high school. This is like your whole life. Uh, A whole world problem. We'll see it. We'll see it. I mean, we're moms. We are, you know, you and I have eagle eye on everyone who walks on campus at our kid's school. Yes, we do. I'm literally like, you know, and that's terrible, but it's also, it's reality. And also you're in charge of your child's, your innocent child goes into the world. You, you are constantly volleying, like how much should they know? We want them to see good in people yeah. And yet, my God, you have to be, you have to have some street smarts in this world or you will die. A hundred percent. Well, I, I, that kind of brings me to my next point in a kind of roundabout way, but 
I mean, only recently has your business become more female centric. I mean, it's, you know, the Me Too movement is but all these women, you know, no, now being a female director, oh, I want a female director. Now this is like some cute novel thing that they think they're going to hire women now, like all of a sudden, like we've been waiting for, I don't know how many years, but um, how do you deal with being one of few women in your field or, or when you were really one of few women and how do you, I mean, have you had to deal with a lot of mansplaining, Patty? Like what, how, how is it in the room when you're the only woman and you got a bunch of men, you know, with you? Well, okay. So there, can I, I'm going to answer that in two, two spaces. Number one, it is getting better in terms of women getting hired. And, you know, this is one of those things where there's always been a plethora of capable, talented ready to work hard women waiting, begging for opportunities when people with less talent were just like scooping up the opportunities as they go. So the good news is slowly it's getting better. And I'll tell you, I speak to that particularly on nonfiction. Nonfiction, it's historically, it has a better female track record. Feature films, primetime television, scripted, scripted, still baby stepping, right? And everybody wants to give themselves a standing ovation every time they hire a woman. Oh yeah. It's crazy. So yay for some progress. And also we're not feeling like we're ready for a parade yet. Um, Regarding the mansplaining, it is truly, (laughs) I mean, if I don't try to work. Let's really explain what that is. Like let's really, just in case someone doesn't know what mansplaining is, let's, let's. Okay. So mansplaining is the really hourly occurrence in my life, I feel like, where a guy comes into a situation, surmises it on the most simplistic level, and then tries to generally tell you your thoughts, feelings, or what the next steps are on said issue. Um, When really what they've offered to the party doesn't advance the conversation or really shed any light. It's just like, I'm here. Thank God I just gave you that bit bit of information. Gem. Yeah. The gem of knowledge. The the funny thing is, is truly like I work with so many amazing men and there are so many men I choose to work with and I seek out to work with regularly. So by no means is this a universal problem, but I'd say this, like if I can't, if I can work mansplaining into my conversation on the daily basis, it's quite easy to do. You know, I mean, um, I think where it's really, we can giggle about it at work and it's funny and, oh yeah, the tech guy just like told me something I already know 16 different ways and wasted 15 minutes of my time. But what? I was nice. I listened because it's rude to be like, this is wasting my time. I'm not, you're not advancing my conversation and my time is valuable. But in that fundamentally female situation of like, I don't want to start a war. That guy actually feels like he needs to be pontificating right now about something I already know. (laughs) There's a bigger, you know, we're always kind of building bigger relationship blocks. So you service that on some level, but um, where it's harmful in particular is where we see, which we see in Congress all the time. You know, we, there'll always be those memes where there's 37 men at the longest table you've seen talking about female uterus uteruses and abortion rights. And, and then you're like, this is outrageous. And the lack of self-awareness is stunning. And in this era where, again, there's so many capable, incredible women 
how tone deaf do you have to be to actually sit at a table next to other white men telling each other what they're going to do with women's bodies and not have the awareness to bring women to that conversation? This sounds me. That is ultimate mansplaining. No, that is ultimate, ultimate mansplaining. Um, In your career, Patty, like I feel like you know, the career for you, especially like you have like an ever-changing career. Like there's always like opportunities are presented to you and you can take those or you can not take those, or sometimes you have to take them, but like your career path, your choices, what are you most proud of accomplishing and your long career? Thank you. Um, well, you know, I will say this, I have worked on some things that have been global hits I've turned down some things that have been global hits, like the girls next door. Um, I met the millionaire matchmaker before she had a show at Bravo and we had a mutual person who put us in touch and they were really like, let's, um, let's do something with her. And in my heart of hearts, I didn't feel good about it. I just felt like, Mm -hmm. and we joked and this is, but we didn't, I won't say what we joked, but we did. We had some funny jokes around the millionaire matchmaker and You know, I think the one through line through my career is that I got into this business to tell stories that matter. And sometimes that's a comedy and sometimes that's a documentary and sometimes, you know, it's a reality series, but I just to tell stories that matter that advance the conversation around women. So thematically, everything I've ever done, I don't want to put women in a situation where we're just bad mouthing women. There's a lot of money to be made in just throw together the grossest, cattiest group of people and just watch them. Let them unravel. Oh my God. And yeah. like throw drinks, pull hair. And you know what? God bless whoever feels good about that. But I don't feel good about that. And even as a consumer, I kind of manage how much of that I take in because it's the complicated thing about it is it, it proliferates this idea that women, that is who women are. And that is a cartoon character of who women are. That is not who women are. And so, no, it's a very base level, nothing view of what women are. Yes. Yes. And even those women are much more interesting, complicated humans that get reduced to the most like vile part of who they are. So anyway, I would tell you what I'm, what I'm most proud of is that I, I have really, for the first 25 years of my career, really followed my heart. I really, I, I listen there. I feel like I really fall in love with every project I do, period. Yeah, you do. I, I've seen it. Yeah, you've seen it. It's just a part of what I, it's the DNA for me. Now I have peers who have houses around the world and who are cash and checks like crazy. And, and that is their truth. I would be, I just wouldn't be me if I was just doing any show anytime. It's just not my thing. Yeah. And I, and I, that's, I think that's what's so amazing about you, Patty. Um, and Tell me, like, maybe give us one, one little tidbit from a, a, a show that you worked on or a documentary that you did, something that you learned, like, a great lesson from or just had just one of those, like, crazy, like, it was even better than you thought yeah. it was going to be moments. Well, let me first tell you the first one because that's, you know, that's kind of the harder thing is to share the things you failed at, <laughs> <laughs> right? I, um, I 100% have a theory that I have never learned from anything I've done right. I've really only learned from- That's a really good point. I've done painfully wrong. 
right? The things that haunt me and that I play over and I go, how would I strategize that different? What could have given a different outcome? Because the truth is the stuff that does great is like, God, that feels so good. But it's there. I don't know what you learned from that. It's like nailed it. Keep it moving. Right. So I, you know, there's a couple of things, particularly as it, from a directing point of view that, you know, were just problems. <laughs> um, but you know, probably not great stories, but like things that really made me better from a technical point of view because of mistakes I made. You, you were talking yesterday about learning your podcast and the audio and the oh, God, yes. things you learn and it makes you yeah. better for it. It makes you better for it. Yeah. So, I guess I'm thinking about like, even when you were doing that, um, that transgender. Oh yeah. Um, what is that? What was that called? Tell me the name. Growing up as a drag. Growing up as a drag. So I was just thinking like, on one level, right? If I was assigned to do this or had the opportunity, I would be like, yes, I'm doing this growing up as a drag. I want to, I want to go into this world. I want to look at what this is like. I want to highlight what's going on and I want to learn. But when you see, I mean, and I was so moved by that because when you see that some of these kids are, they wouldn't be alive if they didn't have that drag persona because they felt like so on an outcast level, so marginalized, so hated by friends, family, that just having that drag character made them feel like they were part of something that they could just live. Yeah, That's another level. So I, I guess that's what I mean is like some of these projects, do you feel like you go in and you think it's one thing and then all of a sudden your head pops off because you're like, oh my God, this is like, this is not a joke. This is your life. Yeah. Well, yeah. number one, what I learned early on is I have an awesome superpower of really connecting with people. And I have to use that superpower wisely because if I don't use it with care and responsibility, I could absolutely be exploiting people who trust me and then I turn on them. Wow. Yes. And so it's really part of my responsibility and my respect for myself to walk into these really delicate situations and get the best, most dramatic story that I see there with doing no harm. And so in that example, which was the Snapchat series growing up as a drag, I had been following these 15 and 16 year olds for a couple of years. And I had sold that project twice to different regimes at MTV, never happened. Then I ultimately set it up at Snapchat. And of course we had to start immediately. It was like, now mind you, now the boys are 18 because I've been in their life for like two and a half years. Yes, yes. And which was, I think, in a weird way, a blessing because they were able to decide for themselves. Do you know what I mean? They really felt, so in a way, I think it worked out. That piece worked out. But they, you know, we would walk into these families who most, you know, I tend to collect friends along the way with every one of these projects. I stay in touch on some level. And, you know, at the time, you know, immediately there's other stuff at play here. Like these kids all have complicated histories, every single one of them, like as every teenager does, it's such, well, maybe, maybe a little more, maybe a little more over there. Yeah. But there's something else at play with that project in particular. They all just want to be great at something like, and I think there's something about that as a teenager, you derive some of your self-esteem from your excellence at something, anything. Yes. And so these kids were phenomenal makeup artists, like talented. No, they're so gorgeous. I, I think it wasn't actually the deeper struggle and pain. It actually was like a really common teenage theme of let me be great at something. And this is the thing I want to be great at. 
Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. The, the other one I'll say to you that I thought it was going to be the gender. I did a film called Hungry about gender inequality yes. in the chef world. And that was going to be, you know, tell me all the misogyny you've experienced. And, you know, it was going to be, that's what I thought we were showing up for. What it became was, you know, we women who don't have a high tolerance for the bullshit. So like they, these, these three women we ended up profiling, yeah, they fully got it. What else do you got? Because learning that there's uh, gender inequality in the kitchen is like, that's chapter one. Duh. Duh. <laughs> Duh. It really became what they did with that reality. And what they all ended up doing in their own way was carving out these hugely entrepreneurial paths where they were creating something new for themselves. So rather than be like, yeah, I'm just going to work for the man and get, keep getting pushed down. You know, there were some really um, high profile restaurant organizations that they, some of them had been affiliated with every single one of them started their own business, every single one of them, because what happens when you start your own business, you have to deal with your clients, but fundamentally you feel like you have some control of your daily. And so I found like that was really what the film ended up becoming about female entrepreneurs and not women kind of beat down with misogyny. Right. Well, that's, you know what? I think that those are both great. I mean, I, 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 I now see what you're saying. It's like when you go in and you think you're going to have these deep talks, it's like, yeah, that's happening. Let me tell you what's really happening though after that. What am I doing with that after? I feel like we always have these days, and you and I have talked about this so much. I call these the drinking in the driveway moments where you just sometimes are in your car. You got to call your girlfriend because you're like, what am I doing? And I, you know, there's those moments can happen personally. They can happen professionally, but just those moments where you are just like, I made a bad choice or I did something. I I think I've made a big mistake or I've taken on too much or I've done something. Have you had those drinking in the driveway moments and how do you, how do you kind of come out of that? Like, how do you bring yourself out and say, no, I'm going to stay the course what I'm doing because what you're doing is incredible. So, yes. I mean, I feel like I have a date with the driveway every Wednesday. (laughs) (laughs) Drinking in the driveway. Join Patty for drinking in the driveway Wednesday. Yeah. You know, it's like the midweek. It's like Monday and Tuesday are so strong. And then Wednesday you're like, oh, you know what I mean? Like, so yes, a hundred percent. I do know what you mean. I think for me, that happens a lot because I work in a business with chronic rejection. So, you know, everyone, it's very interesting. People always think like, oh my God, it's so great. You were, you've done so well. And it's like, I do so well because I don't give up at the end of the day. I hear no constantly. Oh boy. It's really like, it is demoralizing, Mm -hmm. but fundamentally my belief in what I'm doing is so much greater than those stings of rejection. I just got to kind of keep it moving. I will a hundred percent say the Elizabeth Warren repeat of Hillary Clinton's loss, I think is a really more macro realization of like, you know, that's a, that might be a weekend in the driveway if we were just pulling our cars next to each other. (laughs) I I read something really great. I'm going to look for it to share with you because I thought it was really, really well said. And this is a really badass prosecuting attorney. I know. She she posted, stop telling Warren supporters to suck it up and support Sanders or Biden. Of course, we will do that. We're strong, capable women, and we are fucking used to supporting whichever less qualified white man seems to hate us the least. But 
we get to be mad as hell first. And it's like, right. I, I really love that because listen, what was Elizabeth Warren doing in her driveway on Tuesday night? Yeah. She left it all on the dance floor and she really did. came to the party with like plans. And listen, this is so much more complicated than actually who has the best plan because nobody really cares about your plan. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So but women over the course of time have, you're right, have dealt with more rejection and more you know, marginalization and more everything than any man would ever, you know, I'm, I'm totally used to taking my third choice politically. I take my third choice every second Sunday. So yes, you're right. We are allowed. I mean, I don't want to talk about what happened to me when Hillary Clinton lost. I just want to say my kids stayed home from school. I made it a holiday. Um, I'm just saying that, you know, I don't, I will fully cry. I could still cry over that. And I will be watching that new Hillary Clinton documentary and I will, uh, cause I adore her. And you know what? I don't care if I'm the only one saying this, but I will say yeah. that it is true that we, you know, women don't get that time to even mourn this uh-huh. loss. We're just supposed to like, keep it moving and just say, okay, yeah, get on board, get yeah. on board with Biden. Let's go. Yeah. Yep. 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 Anyway. Um, I, you are a worry woman, of course, but you're also a warrior mom. How do you try to balance this career that you have following your passions, you know, putting out this amazing, these documentaries with such human connection? How do you do all of that and then be a mother? Because I have to tell you many is the time you and I have talked. And I feel like when I'm being a great mother, I'm really not doing that great career wise. And when I'm doing great career-wise, I'm kind of blowing off my kids. Like, it is very hard. I mean, it's true. It's very hard to get that. I don't even like the word balance because I think it's stupid and I really don't think you can ever achieve it. But but there is, it, it's hard to have something you're really passionate, you're going for it. And then also you want to really raise wonderful human beings that care. Well, I think for me, I will say that I think my kids are wonderful human beings because, and that they care because of, they see all my passion and what I do and how they work into that. And they are part of this. They aren't separate. It's not like a separate part of my life. I service, you know, they, they watch rough cuts with me. They've gone on shoots with me. They, they, they are part of this. Number one, number two, I will say this. I, as a young mother fully thought I had outsmarted the system. I was like, I'm going to own my own business. And then guess what? I'm, it's going to give me that balance. I had a gorgeous office in Santa Monica. I built a stunning nursery. My business partner also had a baby 18 months after me. We put in every fun toy you could ever imagine, a separate entrance two um, cribs. We were going to rock this. Like we were going to redefine. And you know what? It was still so humbling at how not perfect it was. Yeah. And I think being a working mother, there is a real, you have to get it to an acceptance that life is messy. And, you know, the, the truth is your kids are capable and they need to be taught that they're capable earlier than you think they do. So my kids, since they were literally, we joke, since they were probably three or four months old, they've had to contribute to the family. And when they were three or four months old, I would scoop them up in the morning. We would go, we had these plantation shutters. And I, we would walk over and they would be responsible for opening the shutters. And we would be like, that's your, thank you. You brought light into the house today. Like, I mean, they had a little job. They, because the truth is this whole family operation does not work unless everybody's doing something. And that's how it works in my house. So 
everyone needs to pull their weight a little bit. Yeah. And in, in production as anyone who may or may not know, it's like you have really busy seasons and you have really calm seasons. So everybody, now that my kids are 11 and 14 and they're much more, they can understand that it's a little bit like, okay, everybody pull it together. Like we got to suck it up buttercup. And like, this is what it looks like. I'm going to be home, you know, a little later this week. And, but you know what? They're going to be fine. And in some ways it's going to give them the space to have to be more mature than they probably want to be if I'm just doing everything for them. Yeah. And you know what? I think you bring up a really good point. And this is something I started doing. I I read this Jack Canfield thing and it was like, share your passions with your children. And it like listed all the reasons why. And I was so blown away by that because I thought, you know, my passions are something I kind of talk about with my husband, but I don't always talk about my passions with my kids. And so when I started this podcast, I literally started talking to them like, what should I call it? Help me pick my theme song. Like, and I remember I was recording my bumper, which is the little kind of thing I say over the music. I, you know, I pick my music. Actually, Patty and I were like listening to all the music. We we're like rating it from one to five. We we're like trying to figure it out. We, we were picking the music. They were helping with that. I recorded my bumper and I was, I was, I was um, rehearsing. I had the music on and I was recording. I was, I was practicing what I was going to do over the bumper. And I was reading it. And Landon, my son, walked into the room and goes like this. Yes, that was it. <laughs> and I was like, this kid is killing me. First of all, he's such a producer. He's like you, Junior. And secondly, he was so invested. He's so invested. He knew the concept. He heard me change the name time 10 times. He knows what I'm going for. He knows every person I'm interviewing. And I have to say, it's so nice to sit at the dinner table and they say, Mommy, how did that recording go today? Yes. What a nice, nice thing. I mean, that is to me the secret of family dinners. Like it can't just be an interview where you're interviewing your kid. What happened today? What did the teacher say? Who did you see today? I mean, it can't be like that. It's got to be like, you know, my husband shares something about his work or, or what went wrong in his day or went sideways or what he's working on. And I mean, they know he's trying to write a book. They know that, you know, like they should know it's not just about your job. It could be what passion, what thing are you trying to accomplish? I think it really changes the game with kids. Well, it brings them into it. And I think you know, there, this is another little disservice we do to mothers is that like, they're really supposed to just be this be all end all. And it's really setting kids up for failure to just hate you because you can't, your whole life cannot just be um, making sure the kids have the perfect snack. Now, by the way, I'm a maniac. Like I love making my kids breakfast and lunch. It never has been, I, that's one thing I've not complained about. I enjoy that. It services that, that piece in me, but I'm also the first person to be like, I need to do a conference call and I really, and I need you guys to not kill each other while I'm in the other room doing a conference call. Yeah. And, um, or yeah, it stinks. Mommy needs, I need to travel this weekend yeah. um, because I have a big shoot. Something just developed and we gotta, I have to do this, but you know, and I, I think I'm probably less scared of it than some of my peers because I had a working mom and I fully see how it worked for me. Right. So you've already been there and you kind of know that that is the reality. Yes. Yes. Well, I don't want to even end this without talking about race to dinner or any other projects kind of that are coming up that you're allowed to talk about. I know one, I don't know if we're allowed to talk about it, that I'm really excited that you're working on, but I want to talk about race to dinner and the projects you're currently working on. Thank you so much. Okay. Well, first of all, I'm very excited that I'm producing and directing a documentary with Olympic gold medalist, Allie Raceman, 
about surviving sexual abuse as a child and really as a young person. And it's going to be unbelievable. And she blows my mind. And oh. She is brave, courageous. She's a warrior. Like, mm. yes, you need to know her at some point. She's a warrior woman. I'd love to interview her. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. She's really phenomenal. So we are um, making a project to our documentary for Lifetime. So that is underway. Um, another project I'm working on, which is a deep dive of also white women culture, really. And it's about how white women unintentionally with the best of intentions, how we uphold white supremacy. And it's deep. And it's following these two women out of Denver who have created something called Race to Dinner, which is a really remarkable uh, grassroots organization where a brown and a black woman sit with white women and teach them a little bit about kind of the ridiculousness that we don't even know we're doing every day. It's so ingrained. It's so ingrained. You think you're not doing it. And then you think it's about it. Air. Someone said, yeah, it's, it's in the air. It's literally yeah. like, because I, so it's a very complicated, super exciting project. And I am really hoping to have it done by this summer. Um, I'm just kind of doubling down because it's really timely and it needs to be made. Oh God. Yes. I mean, it's uncomfortable as hell. Which, you know, and that's what I love about all the things you do, Patty. It's, there's a part of me that's like, oh, I want to look in that window because I want to know what that is. But then there's a part of me who's like, oh my God, should I look in that window? Because I don't know if I can unsee what I just saw. I mean, it's, it's hard to admit things like that about yourself, that, oh. that there's a level of racism that you're not even aware of that you're just practicing in your daily life because you, that's just the way you kind of are rolling in life. I mean, it's just, it's hard. It, that's hard. That's it's hard. a really hard pill to swallow. And I got interested in this work about two years ago, really I'll say at the 2016 election, re- like really reflecting on who am I in this world? What am I bringing to this world? What, you know, what's happening? How do we get here? And then in the past two years, following these women and seeing the remarkable work they're doing and really realizing that like, if you're looking for hope in humanity, liberal white women might be one of your best shots because at least our heart is in the right place of caring about somebody else. But before we can actually care about somebody else, we have a long way to go because we as a group are kind of a disaster. And we as a group tend to choose white men over sisterhood time and time again. And here we go. Elizabeth Warren's another example. Everybody, you know what I mean? So it's like, this is really a complicated study and women being willing to look at themselves. It really is. I don't know. I might get run out of town. You'll have to see. No, I'm (laughs) going to be on board for this. You're not going to get run out of town. Okay. We're on to the speed questions, Patty. Oh, I love it. Made it through my hard part. Now you get to do the fun part. I love it. Um, What is your mantra or quote that you live by? It's also my Instagram tag. And I will tell you it's, I thought I could. So I did. Ah, I love, I thought I could. So I did. I love that. Okay. What's your idea of the perfect lunch? And don't think that we haven't had a perfect lunch together. You and I have had them. I mean, well, I would say a girl's lunch is a hundred percent my jam. And by the way, I would even say just being at the beach in our sweats, doing, um, magazine quizzes, that would fall under that. Like it doesn't have to be fancy. We can just be you know, enjoying 
nature and friendship and connection. And, you know, I think this, I just like to be with people I can go deep with. I, I, and by the way, I will talk about cute lip gloss all day long. Like I, I love being in a deep conversation with a girlfriend and then being like, pause for a second. What is that foundation you're wearing? <laughs> I can't speak it. What is that? Your skin looks so good. Why is your, what are you doing with your okay, skin? Okay. Back to that, back to the divorce in your family. Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah, exactly. Back to your horrible husband. That's, that's my favorite lunch. Um, what makes you feel unstoppable? I, I have the gene. I have the gene. I don't know that I can answer that properly. I have an unstoppable gene. You're the unsinkable Patty Ivins. Uh, oh um, what do you mo- who do you most admire? Oh, I wish I had prepared for this one because there really are. I have, I have such a long list of people I admire. I think I need to pass on this one because it's not fair to just have one person. Okay. Well, I mean, we could say Elizabeth Warren just because it's timely. Yeah. Um, we could put her in there somewhere. Yeah. Uh, what's exciting you the most right now? I mean, this is such an exciting, I, I feel really excited about my life and my career right now. I really do. I feel like this is just, I, I've, I've spent many years sowing seeds and I feel like I see the garden blooming and I'm, and I'm just really excited about it. Oh my gosh. I'm excited for you. Thank you so much, Patty, for joining us today. And thank you for shining a light in places we might not necessarily be looking, but we need to see. Anything for you, Liz Swadek. Love you to pieces. I love you so much. Thank you for joining me today. Make sure to come back next week when we talk to another warrior woman. And I'm going to put in the show notes how you can watch some of Patty's documentaries, so how you can find um, her newest. When, when, when is that coming out, Patty? When is your, your Ali Ray's That's a great question. It, it probably will be fall, but there's no actual air date yet. Okay. Well, I'll keep you posted on that. We'll make sure we tell you. But remember to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify if you enjoyed the show. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a great review because it helps more listeners find our show. This is Conversations with Warrior Women. I'm Liz Swadek. And remember, every woman has a story. Just ask her.